state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side, J.D. split out left. They look left, back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five, he lays out, he's in! That's a two-point play for Nebraska, and they've tied this game in Champaign at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Mere minutes away from the revealing of the National Football League schedule tonight. Seems like a lot of our excitement over the last month is kind of centered around the NFL. The draft a couple of weeks ago, the schedule revealed tonight. Several reports out that the opening game of the year, the Thursday night game, will pit the Chiefs and the Texans at Arrowhead Stadium. We, we, uh, we speculated about that last night. I thought that may be what it ends, ends up being. I hope that it it goes uh, just like the last one. I mean, I would prefer the Chiefs not to get <laughs> down by so many before you just, you know, completely end their spirits. But, um, you know, I think uh, it's an exciting game nonetheless. Houston's had a pretty interesting off season. I think that's the best way to put it um, by shipping out DeAndre Hopkins and, um, you know, trading for a fragile Brandon Cooks. Uh, fragile David Johnson and yeah all kinds of interesting moves made by Bill O'Brien in the front office of uh of Houston but I'm sure they'll be you know licking their chops to get another shot at Kansas City yep no doubt all right uh college football a couple of items that hit the the headlines today in college football Jim Harbaugh was one of those. He came out today and said that college football players should have the ability to be selected in the NFL draft at any point in their college careers. He wrote an open letter that's been provided to several media outlets, including CBS Sports. Harbaugh detailed how players should be able to hire an agent, declare for the draft, regardless of their year in school, and return to college football if they are not selected during the three-day, seven-round draft or do not choose to sign as an undrafted free agent. Currently, the NCAA rules for football, college football, is three years, then you can go. And if one of those years is the redshirt year, that's fine too. Uh, So you could be a redshirt sophomore, or if you've played all three years, finished up your junior year. Harbaugh Harbaugh has mentioned this uh, several different times, but seems to be making a push for this right now. And I think with the name, image, likeness, uh, rulings hanging out uh, above the the head of all college administrators. This probably is going to gain some steam. So to review, Ben, for college basketball, you have to go one year. You have to have a certain age. You have to go have to play one year and then go. You don't have to go to college. You can go to the G League now if you want to do that. But you have to go one year to college and then you're eligible for the draft. College baseball, you can go out of high school, or if you choose to go to a four year school, you got to stay three years then you're eligible. Your thoughts about Harbaugh and whether this should be allowed for college football players. Yeah, I think it's a terrible idea, honestly. I think um, it, it's not surprising that it's coming from his mouth either. I Look, I'm all for the name, image, and likeness thing. I think if a player uh, is at a, at a spot in his career or popularity where he can he – can, it's mutually beneficial for him and the school, that's fine. But when it comes time to hiring an agent – that's that's to me the threshold of amateurism. I mean, you're no longer an amateur when you have somebody representing your well-being that's not within your family that you are paying. 
that that is the 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 epitome of a professional and I would be, I, I, you know, you're going to get the um, the fluff answers whenever Harbaugh's asked about this, but I, I would secretly want to know if I could peek inside the mind of Harbaugh, how much of this would be to get rid of players in Columbus, Ohio, quicker <laughs> to make his path easier. Um, I, I think I, I think there's probably some legs to that, to where. He is so tired of getting beat down by Ohio State and, and and looking at their roster every single year and seeing that they have more talent, thinking, man, maybe if these guys had, you know, a clear path to the NFL, I might have an easier time beating them. I could totally see that be kind of a in the back of his head reason for this. He would never admit that to anybody. Uh, I think, you know, he's going to put on the facade that this would help his program. But I think it would help his program a lot more if the Buckeyes had less talent than uh, than they do right now. That's a that's a fair point to to throw out there that that could be looming in in the back of his mind. This this topic came up, Ben, when we were in Chicago last July, and it centered around Jonathan Taylor, the outstanding running back for Wisconsin, that he had done enough in two years of college football that. And he knew what was coming. He knew Wisconsin was going to give him the rock 250 times or whatever it ended up being last year, which was going to just take more tread off the tires of his legs and his body. And that if he had the ability to say, okay, I've proven it at this level. Let me, while I still have a a good chunk of my legs left, let me get to the NFL. So it came up then, and Harbaugh has mentioned this a couple different times. Um, Boy, I think there's a difference in body maturity level in, in that particular sport as well. I mean, I you know, with baseball, it's not as big a gap, maybe athletically. You're talking about awfully big human beings in the National Football League for these guys to go and one more extra year of maturity, I think, would make a difference. But I'm with you. I, I don't know how you can let them sign with an agent and then what? return all their money and all the perks mm-hmm. that the agent gave them once they sign it. Hey, what happens is when you sign with an agent, they immediately give you some cash. They go, here you go. Go buy a new suit. Go buy a new car if you want to. Go buy some jewelry if you want to have some jewelry. So you're going to return all that if you don't get drafted and you won't go back to school? Come on. That isn't going to happen. No, no chance. Absolutely no chance. And I also feel that an interesting question to ask, and you and I know, that it is beyond rare to have a college freshman be so far advanced to where they're ready for the NFL after one year. It's rare. It's really, really rare to have that. But let's just follow Harbaugh's logic here and turn it back on him. Would he be in favor, since he's so for players to make that decision on their own, if a player thought he was ready, say you've got, Three Michigan commits, two five-stars and a four-star at a high school, Jadavian Clowney, Rashawn Gary, Jabril Peppers-type players. What you, I would be interested to ask Harb, okay, well, what would you think about if these, these all these guys were committed to play for you, but by your logic they're ready for the NFL, what's to say they couldn't hire an agent after high school and just bypass your university for a year and go right to the NFL? Would you be in favor then? If you're truly looking out for the athlete, I would spin it back to him, you know, that way and say, okay, well, then you must be in support of this, even though you may lose a once in a generation type talent every so often because of this rule. 
if his answer truly is, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, then, you know, in that case, if a player thought that, then if he wanted to skip his commitment, that's the answer you would get. But I don't know that he would believe that. And you better believe Coach Harbaugh wouldn't be happy if he had the Rashawn Garys, the Devin Bushes. Um, I mean, you think about all those guys that, that Michigan have had that probably weren't – I guess the most recent example would be Dax Hill, their safety, the five-star from Oklahoma that came in and started right away. I mean, what if you told Harbaugh that, okay, he's going to go sign an agent and he's not coming to Michigan. He's going to go try and try out for the Cleveland Browns or whatever it is. I, I don't know that he would be in favor of that. Stats show that approximately one-third of underclassmen who declare for either the NBA draft or the NFL draft go unselected. A third. So 33% of guys. Now, if you're going to open the door for freshmen and sophomores to come out in the NFL, that number is going to really rise up. It's going to really be high. And so then you've hung these kids out out to dry, and their football days are probably over for the most part. So interesting comments from Jim Harbaugh. He he has touched on this in the past, and uh, he went down the path today in a big way, putting out this letter to CBS Sports and some other big media outlets today. One, one more point, too. Think about how much pressure this would put on National Football League scouts and front offices in terms of scouting, in terms of drafting. You would have to draft a kid, you know, you would have to weigh the risk, and, and they wouldn't be forced to. But let's just use Jadavian Clowney as an example because that guy was NFL-ready after a year. Miles Garrett maybe close. You know, you can come up Saquon Barkley. You can come up with a few guys that are so close to NFL-ready. Think about what that would do in terms of pressure and scouting, and th- that would destroy NFL front offices. I mean, you would have to extend that draft out by – three, four, five rounds just because of the amount of pure busts that there would be in the draft extending that pool. Greg, think about how many busts there are now after three, four, and five years in college right. that there are. I mean, if you're taking you're taking risks on guys that are 18 and 19 years old that haven't even physically matured yet, you know, you got to weigh the risk of getting that Jadavian Clowney-type player or getting a player that will never even sniff a practice squad nonetheless. There's no way the NFL would let that happen. Yeah, the NFL's going to be against this, I would think. Continuing on with news as it relates to Big Ten football, we talked yesterday about James Franklin's comments. We had the Notre Dame AD's comments two days ago. Today, the governor of Oregon came out and said, we're not going to have any large-scale audiences at anything in our state through the month of September. Well, this affects... It certainly could affect Ohio State, who is set for week two, September the 12th, I believe, if I got my date right. There's The Buckeyes are set to play in Eugene against the Oregon Ducks. So if you go by this, if they play the game, they're going to play it in front of very few fans, if any. Or what happens here? And the, we've talked about this could be a, a really odd college football season coming up where some conferences are a go. Some teams within a conference are a go, and others are not. But there's a lot of indication that particularly schools who comprise the West Coast, the Pac-12, may not open up at all for, for months and months and months. So you know the folks in Columbus, Ohio, heard that today and have to be wondering, we may not have a Week 2 game to go play against the Oregon Ducks, which would be one of the marquee games in all of October would be that one between those two, those two programs. Yeah, it sure would. And this is where the, the, the instability of scheduling starts to creep in. And I can't help but think about our conversation we had about Notre Dame a couple of nights ago, too, 
Um, you know, this is this is going to happen. And, and and let's bring it. Let's you know, obviously, Ohio State is in Oregon is a huge matchup. We remember a couple of years ago, the home and home that the Spartans of Michigan State had with Oregon and how cool that was to see the, the contrast and styles there. But one of our good friends has a team that, you know, on a much sm- smaller scale from Ohio State, Oregon, Jeff Colhane's North Dakota State Bison supposed to go out to Eugene, too. Right. Um, you know, that, that could be uh, that's you know, that's probably the game game that they've been looking forward to the most up in up in uh, Fargo because <laughs> they've taken winning for granted up there to go play the Ducks in Eugene to have that maybe off the table. It's affecting them, too. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on all of this as we continue to move through the month of May and all uh, all the things that we're dealing with. A real treat for us tonight to have the Chancellor of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln Ronnie Green, with us. And it's been several months since you and I have sat down. I, I hope you're help. I hope you're healthy. I know it's been a crazy six eight weeks for you and a lot of folks around the campus. Well, Greg, it's good to hear your voice uh, and get a chance to visit. It has been a while. I was. Uh, kidding you earlier, it, it, uh, every day in COVID-19 land, I know feels like a lot longer than a day for people. So it, it feels like it's been a long time since we talked, but things are good. You know, we're, we're navigating this environment that we're in and uh, all health, healthy, happy and safe and, um, and just good to be with you tonight. Chancellor, I know one of your favorite times of the year is graduation, which is, would have been this coming weekend. Take me through the plan for the May graduation, and how did you arrive at some of that? Well, it is a big, big weekend for us and for our graduates, uh, most importantly, and for their families. A uh, big tradition at Nebraska. We have one of the biggest traditions in commencements nationally amongst institutions where a very high percentage of our graduates actually participate live uh, in commencement uh, with us. So, you know, we when we knew uh, pretty early into this pandemic that it was going to be unlikely to be able to do that in person like we normally do. Uh, so we started planning really Hard with our students and with our graduates, talking with them about what uh, would be best for them and for their families. So on on Saturday, just here in a couple of days, uh, we'll have a graduation celebration with the record-setting class for the university in our 151-year history, 3,555 graduates um, that um, are participating in this graduation celebration with us. And we're doing it in a variety of ways with them on Saturday. So uh, at nine o'clock on Saturday morning on NET, we'll be broadcasting a graduation celebration program for all of our graduates and their families all over the world. Uh, you know, normally we would have graduate ceremonies tomorrow for our masters and doctoral uh, graduates. Uh, and then on Saturday, we would have had two commencement ceremonies for our undergrads. Uh, we're, we have so many graduates now, we can't all fit in Pinnacle, Pinnacle Bank Arena. So uh, beginning last year, we went to two ceremonies for our undergraduate students. And then law, the Law College also will graduate on Saturday. So uh, we're doing it as one program, a uh, half hour uh, on NET. Um, we have devised a way for our commencement speaker. I think you know this guy, his name's John Cook. Mm-hmm. Our head ball coach at Nebraska uh, was scheduled to be our commencement speaker, which is a big honor to be asked to be the commencement speaker. We uh, we intentionally had asked John 
um, some number of months ago because we thought he had so much to say to our graduates. Uh, he's a first-generation college graduate himself, um, and he's, he's delivering his commencement uh, message to our graduates, and that program has some really powerful things to say to our graduates. Uh, we have about 40 notable Husker alums who have chimed in and created messages and uh, greetings for our graduates that will be part of that uh, that celebration uh, event on Saturday morning, including a, a guy named Warren Buffett, who is probably our, our most famous alum of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And Warren has some important words to say uh, to our graduates. We were able to capture that with him. Uh, during this COVID-19 uh, time period that we've been in. So it's just going to be a celebratory time all the way through the day. Our graduates have submitted to us their thoughts, their, their, uh, their experiences while at UNL and what this graduation means to them. And those will be scrolling throughout the day online as part of this celebration as well. So we're really looking forward to Saturday. Uh, and even though it's not a commencement in live like we normally would have, uh, we're celebrating it in this moment. We'll get to turn their tassels with these students. They received boxes from us over the last uh, week. Uh, Go Big Grad celebration box that had their, their uh, cap and tassel and honors that they would have received individually uh, from us along with a lot of uh, greetings from the university. So looking forward to that day on Saturday. Oh, it's going to be fantastic, as it should be. It's an incredible moment. To, it's a great accomplishment to graduate from a university like the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Well, graduates always get the, the question, Chancellor, what's next? Uh, is there some good news out there among these Nebraska grads that you can share with us? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, there is. And before I do that, you know, I, I just would kind of add, Greg, you know, graduation means so much to to each individual person. You know, this particular class, I uh, shared this with them uh, at the beginning of the year. And again, when we had to kind of pivot to this, this kind of altered plan for their graduation celebration. This is a really special class to me personally. Uh, these students entered as freshmen the first year that I had the privilege to serve in this role as chancellor of UNL. So they, we've kind of grown up together, if you will. Um, and uh, they'll always hold a special place in my heart uh, as this class. And, you know, and, it, and I was reflecting back just recently, you know, um, my father-in-law, uh, Wilbur Pauley, was a first-generation college graduate from Harvard, Nebraska, graduated from the University of Nebraska in 1950. Um, I know what this meant to him. I know what it's meant to my wife and I as graduates of this great institution, all four of our children. Our graduates of UNL. It's just, it's just the, the the graduation moment is just so meaningful in a lot of ways, and we we are celebrating the success that these graduates are going to go into the future with. And you know, we even in these kind of disruptive times, our students who are graduating are going on to great things. Uh, just a couple of examples out of this record-setting class: uh, Kari Ramesh who's a senior computer science major from Omaha, part of the Rake School of Computer Science and Management, where she's pursued her degree here these past four years. In August, she starts her uh, first-time position as a software engineer at Microsoft in Seattle. We've been featuring some of her thoughts about that 
over the past several days on campus. Uh, when she was here on campus, she helped found Girls Code Lincoln. It's a nonprofit in the Haymarket that teaches fourth through ninth grade girls computer programming and leadership skills. Just an example of the kind of students that we're graduating. We we wish uh, Kari the best. Josh Keller, uh, he'll earn a doctorate in human sciences with specialization in exercise physiology. Came here from Ohio uh, to study specially with Dr. Terry Hausch. Um, looking forward to a faculty position going to Alabama where he'll be in a faculty role. Just story after story like that amongst this uh, record setting class for us. You know, fortunately, right before COVID-19 uh, uh, disrupted things for us this semester, we had been able to successfully complete our career fairs for the year for the university, and we're still getting inquiries and networking for students to land in those first positions coming out of, uh, of their experience in Nebraska. So looking forward to what this class is going to do, we know that they have a huge future ahead of them. They're well prepared. Uh, their education is putting them out with uh, with great skill sets to bring to to the public, uh, and we wish them all the very best. Chancellor, we get to the end of a school year, and we usually are celebrating the, the, the past school year, and, and that got maybe pushed to the side because of of our lack of ability to all be together. But are there are there some students or some faculty that have earned some special honors or recognition during the last month or so? Yeah, well, there, there's a couple things I'd, I'd, I'd want to mention tonight, uh, Greg. I, you know, this has been a record-setting year for us in recognition of our faculty uh, and our students. Uh, we just got word this week that nine of our students have been named as Fulbright Scholars. We continue to be one of the leading institutions nationally in the number of Fulbrights that come from our institution and go all over the world. Um, with those opportunities, so nine new winners, um, and eight of those students graduated from Nebraska high school. So the the uh, uh, the Nebraska impact through the Fulbright program continues, uh, and we're very excited for those students and the opportunities that they're going to have. Uh, because of COVID-19, normally our Fulbright scholars would be going out now. Starting in the summer, they're delayed a bit. They'll they'll be delayed and start in January instead, but we wish them the very best. And then last week, we got some very big news for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in that one of our faculty members, uh, Dr. Ray Haynes, a faculty member in our Department of Anthropology in the College of Arts and Sciences, was named to the National Academy of Sciences. The, the biggest honor a faculty member can receive in the world is to be named to the National Academy of Sciences in the United States or the National Academy of Engineering or the National Academy of Medicine. There are only four individuals from Nebraska who have been named to the National Academy of Sciences in history. All four of them have been members of the faculty of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Ray is the first person to be named to the Academy since 2003 from Nebraska. So very proud of that accomplishment for him uh, and what it says about his career, his work, and the stature of our faculty across the institution. And then lastly, in this time of COVID-19 where we're all challenged for the world is, is uh, looking for all the solutions to confront this challenge and to protect our people around the world. Uh, it's been really heartening to see how the university has stepped up both in terms of 
filling gaps and finding ways to provide help to our healthcare system and to our first responders that are there on the front lines. Things like uh, hand sanitizer that's now been produced in conjunction with the Nebraska ethanol industry at Innovation Campus and our food processing center. Our engineers there have now produced over 35,000 gallons of hand sanitizer for use all across Nebraska in the healthcare system and first responders, now in the meat processing sector, uh, the USDA's food safety and inspection services being provided nationwide from our from our services there. Just a great, great story of service. Face shields, which have been prototyped, designed, and manufactured now. Uh, over 20,000 of these face shields have been produced at Nebraska Innovation Studio on Nebraska Innovation Campus, our engineers. Uh, and virtual incision and company partners working with us. Uh, great work there, gallons and masks that are being produced, ventilator, uh, extending the use of ventilators, multiple uh, patients on single vent ventilators from our engineering faculty. I could, could go on and on, but these important kind of contributions that the land-grant university mission is doing at its very best here. And, and then lastly, Greg, I'll tell you, um, you know, there are times in, in life where you see the very best in people come out, and I'm not surprised by this, but I will just I just got to say that in this disruptive time we're in, where we've had to pivot entirely to be successful in completing the current semester and graduating the students we were talking about earlier, moving forward to a very exciting fall that we're now planning to be back on campus as a community and person with our student body and our faculty, um, the very best in people have, has come out. I cannot tell you how appreciative I've been of the efforts of our faculty and of our staff to be able to pivot through this moment and still deliver on our mission in the way that they have. I just, I can, I'm so impressed with what has happened uh, in this time of disruption, and uh, and I just got to call out and say how proud I am of the institution and of its people as we've uh, moved through this time. And you have every right to be, Chancellor, and I know now you've recently the plans have been announced that you are planning to be open for business in the fall on campus, and I know that was really important for you, the, the president, to come out with that here in the last week or so to, so students have a, something that they can look forward look forward to here in a few months. Yeah, you know, it's August feels, you know, right now it feels like it's a long time away. It's uh, about three months from now. We expect to be back in session on campus. We are working round the clock thinking about how we are going to make this happen and happen successfully. All hands on deck, so to speak, across the university and planning how to deliver our curriculum and our, our mission. You know, we're thinking about there are seven days in the week, not five. There are 12 hours in the day, not eight. There are venues that we wouldn't normally use for spreading out our classes and spreading out people across our curriculum. Uh, we're we're going to make it happen, and we're going to be successful in doing that in ways that uh, that are well, we probably can't even imagine entirely right now. And it's exciting to we're we're exciting to excited to sink our teeth into it. And I cannot tell you how anxious we are, how excited and anticipatory we are about having our students back on our campus at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. 
Well, very good. Chancellor, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Enjoy Saturday. I hope everybody enjoys it. I know you and a lot of people put a lot of effort into trying to make this a very special graduation for the class of 2020. We sure will, Greg. Good to, good, good to see you and good to hear your voice. Look forward to being in person with you next time. But as I mentioned tomorrow night, our greatest games. In 1978 was such an interesting game for Nebraska. They, they had had one loss on the year. They opened the season at Alabama and got beat. And then came home to play Oklahoma and Jim Pillen, who had a tremendous game. He was named the defensive player of the game. The Big A Conference honored him on Monday as the defensive player of the week. He is now currently the chairman of the Board of Regents for the University of Nebraska and also lives out in Columbus and is the owner-operator of a pork plant out there. Jim, great to have you on here with us tonight. It's going to be fun reminiscing about this. I hope you're doing well. You're certainly on the front lines of this whole mess that we've been dealing with here the last two months. Well, hey, Greg, good to uh, hear from you, and thanks uh, thanks for having me on. And maybe on own behalf of all Nebraskans, uh, thanks for all you do. You have a great voice, and we appreciate uh, what you do for our program, and all Nebraskans appreciate you a lot. So, uh, you know, I think we would be like everybody else in the state. <clears throat> uh, we're all living through extraordinary times in our lives, and uh, I'm not sure I know of anybody who has not been adversely affected and have having uh, some tremendous challenges, uh, uh, and uh, the challenges are all relative. And uh, depending upon uh, what uh, what responsibility and what sector you're in, and uh, for us uh, that have spent our life in agriculture, uh, yeah, we're going through some extraordinarily uh, challenging times, but uh, uh, you know we uh, we have to put a we have to have a steady on the horizon and uh, try to uh, look ahead and uh, not not look down. You know, because if you look down, you might uh, you might trip. So that's not an option at this stage of the game. You know, I know the meat plants, pork plants like yours. You guys are fighting this virus and trying to keep the food supply open for for all Americans, for people around the world, how challenging has that been for you? Yeah, you know, the top priority from <clears throat> from day one has been a uh, trying to stay ahead of it and do uh, do as communicating and helping everybody on our team stay safe and start the best practices. In the pig world, uh, we deal with what we uh, – called biosecurity issues to keep viruses away from pigs because disease and viruses are a challenge and we've dealt with it for decades. So biosecurity practices uh, are a natural phenomena for us. Uh, we learned a new word form called mitigation steps. So we've created new norms. And so uh, we've, we've uh, done great. We've kept people, our teams have stayed healthy, uh, but but it's an, it's an extraordinary challenge. The, the real challenge that has just happened here in the last 28 days has uh, been the anxiety within <clears throat> within the workforce at the plants, where uh, where uh, great people work elbow to elbow, and uh, uh, and uh, as we test more, uh, there are more positive test results, which has created anxiety and fear of being able to work in close proximities, and uh, that's resulted in people uh, not coming to work, which caused plants to shut down, and and uh, we can't turn pigs. If we don't have people to do the, the work at the plants, we can't turn uh, pigs to uh, 
bacon and sausage and hams. So that it's really, uh, really created a tremendous problem and uh, resulting in some real challenges on the farm, what we do and tough decisions. And then uh, challenges in the grocery store. We've been talking about food shortages for a few weeks. Um, I guess I'd say it depends on what, you, what your definition of food shortage is, but uh, for sure it is uh, food rationing is happening this today, which is hard to comprehend in Columbus, Nebraska. Uh, so certainly food rationing, you can't go to the store and buy what you want when you want, and, uh, and, and needless to say, the, the price, uh, not at the price that you'd like. So, so lots of there's lots of ramifications that none of us could ever predict. Now, now uh, we do have faith, Greg. We have faith that if we all work together, that we will get this solved sooner than later. Yeah, I certainly believe in that theory as well. We're visiting with Jim Pillen, Nebraska Board of Regent Chairman, also a former Husker football player. Jim, it was about a year ago at this time that Hank Bounds announced that he was going to be stepping down as university president, and then you and the Regents uh, went into a search and, and landed on Ted Carter. Your thoughts about the way he's had to handle a situation. You talk about getting thrown right into the frying pan right when he got here, two months after he took over the job. He has to deal with all this. Your thoughts about the way Ted Carter has handled himself? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, uh, um, <clears throat> we, the board, I myself loved uh, Hank Bounds, and he did a great job, and he was the perfect person six years ago, and we are uh, – uh, so blessed to have uh, attracted Ted Carter to fall in love with Nebraska. Uh, he's an extraordinary human being and has uh, uh, leadership uh, leadership qualities. Uh, and he's an extraordinarily uh, steady man that is very very positive. And uh, yeah, we we. Uh, we have a lot of tough uh, decisions ahead within the higher education, and we couldn't be more pleased to have uh, Ted Carter as our leader today. Jim, he made the announcement a couple of weeks ago that he is going to have the campuses open in the fall. That's the plan right now. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he has your support and the board's support on that. Yes, certainly, hundred uh, percent. We are, we are, uh, uh, we were uh, all excited, and I think that the, I think that the message that uh, needs to be talked about is maybe some real positive things that we've learned about COVID and and uh, that we know today. So <clears throat> certainly, uh, one is is that all Nebraskans and every, most everybody across the country has done a great job with all the mitigation steps, and the whole goal was to flatten the curve, which simply means to delay the virus's impact on how many people get infected with it. And the whole goal was so that we would not overrun hospitals, so that this affects your, your respiratory system, so that if you needed to be on a ventilator, there would be health care. And uh, the, the great news today is, is that our hospitals are at 50% capacity with very few COVIDs across the state. Um, with maybe an exception in one or two communities, but no capacity issues. So, uh, and the other that we know today is we do more testing. We know that over 85% of the people, if you're under 80 years of age, under 70 years of age for sure, that 85% of the people that are testing positive have never, are asymptomatic, did not know they have it. And the chances of needing to be hospitalized are less, are lots less. So those are all positive things that we know today. Uh, 
there's 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 you know one death is too many but the reality is we we really need to look at this as populations it's it's critical that our young people are able to get engaged and do it safely get back to being educated and it's in, it's really important that access to all of our kids across the state and our bordering states all have access uh, they, they, we need to get them back in the game of life. So we're, we're excited, and we know we can do that by fall and do it safely. Again, busy with the Nebraska Board of Region Chairman Jim Pillen here on Sports Island on the Husker Sports Network. This is a sports show, Jim, and so everybody wants, you know, they're, they're optimistic, they're hopeful that we have college football in the fall. Um, I, I think President Carter is hopeful that that can happen, and I, I'm sure you and the regions also are certainly hoping that we can have sports on campus again in the fall. I think every Nebraskan uh, is really, really hopeful that uh, volleyball can be played, football can be played, and and uh, young people can compete, and all of us older folks uh, can support and cheer and uh, have some fun and have good Monday morning quarterback uh, coaching debates and all that stuff, and I'm optimistic we'll be able to. Well, Jim, one of the reasons we wanted to get you on is is uh, Friday night we're going to be playing back the 78 Oklahoma-Nebraska game. You were named the Chevrolet player of the game. I think later named the Big 8 defensive player of the week for your efforts in that game, a huge Husker win. Let's go down memory lane a little bit. What uh, what comes to mind when you think about that game? Oh, you know, the very, very first thing that would certainly come to mind is uh, all of my teammates. Uh, it was an extraordinary team effort everybody everybody played incredible roles uh you know johnny rude a backup that played on the kickoff teams had the probably what still is regarded as the most ferocious hit of all time in memorial stadium uh, ever it was uh, it was a, a very very physical football game which led well to us um and, and a lot of turnovers uh but probably the uh, and the crowd was Nebraska crowd, so those are things none of us will ever forget. But probably the thing that is still and just an awesome memory, and I think all of my teammates would agree that uh, we learned the gift of belief from Coach Osborne then, because I mean there were there was only our locker room that believed we were going to win because Oklahoma had a great, a great team. We had gotten beat by Alabama early in the year. Um, and, uh, on paper, nobody gave us a chance, but we had, we had a plan and we had total belief in it. And, uh, there, there just wasn't a shadow of a doubt. And, and, uh, in fact, uh, Maybe a year or so ago, I was on a sh- on a sh- show and with Tom Sorley, and and we talked about that a little bit. And this it was so cool because uh, uh, that the fumble was late in the game with two three minutes left, and and the comment was, "Well, that saved the game." And Sorley popped up and said, "No, it didn't, because if they'd have scored, then we'd have gone down and scored right away." <laughs> that's what we believed, and that that was our team, and that that that's a great memory. Forcing the fumble for Billy Sims near the goal line late in the game. You referenced that. Fumbles were a big story of that game. I think Oklahoma had nine or ten fumbles on the day. They didn't, you didn't get them all, but you got about six of them that day. Uh, and they were ranked number one. I mean, that had to be one of the highlights of your college career was to walk off that field that day having beaten, beaten a number one team. 
It was a it was a great memory, you know. Uh, all of us in sports tend to remember the things that uh, didn't go quite the way. The, a week we uh, we had the thrill of victory, and then unfortunately, a week later, we uh, get upset by Missouri and lost our chance to play for a national title. But uh, yeah, that that Saturday was a was a special day, and it was uh, it was good to uh, get on top of that Sooner magic. Jim, was there a, a mutual respect between you and the Sooner players? I mean, we've heard, the, the rivalry was so classic and so epic, which we don't have anymore. Unfortunately, we're not in the same league with them. But what was the respect level like between the two teams? Yeah, no, <clears throat> incredible respect. You know, back in those days, there wasn't uh, um, near. You know, there, there there wasn't the interaction. You didn't have cell phones, so forth. So you didn't you didn't hear have the interaction. You knew each player because and what they could do because of film study but as far as personally having any relationships uh, you, you just didn't you didn't have that but uh you, the re, the respect in the R I mean they were uh uh they were a great program and uh, you know you have to remember when I was a senior that our class uh none of us had ever beaten Oklahoma and so um you know that's a powerful the psychology and that belief is really that's a tough hurdle to get over and that was what was so powerful about getting there because because none of us had been on a nebraska team that had beaten oklahoma and uh so uh so getting the belief and uh, getting getting uh you know getting beyond the respect but the belief that you could beat them and that 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 was a, that was really key well, I can't wait to listen back to this on Friday night and he, and hear your name from Lyle Bremser and all this. This is going to be great to re to re hear the game and and thank you, Jim, for coming on with us and updating us on things at the university and going down memory lane with us. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Greg. And I, I hope uh, I hope that that tape is not so getting so old that it'll it'll last all the way through to the end, Greg. <laughs> oh, it's going to be just fine. Can't wait to hear it tomorrow night, Jim. Thank you again, Jim Pillen the chairman of the Board of Regents for the University of Nebraska and a former Husker Blackshirt. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, thanks for working with us tonight. We had to slide you back a few minutes, but that probably yeah. gave you a little bit more time at the 19th <laughs> hole today, correct? You are, well, although the 19th hole uh, now exists in the parking lot when we oh, crack open yeah, some beers. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, now, it's interesting. I was going to play Friday. I usually try to play golf every Friday, but it's going to be weird. I don't know what, whether you have going or if it already went through, but it's going to be like I have 44 degrees here, so we're able mm-hmm. to slide it to Thursday. And we played it, of course, in Indiana, and it's amazing. Obviously, Indiana is on the border with Chicago. Chicago is incredibly strict and uptight about corona in general, and especially golf. One of the most popular courses was shut down this morning for reasons they won't even explain. Hmm. And then you cross the border and go into Indiana, and it's like corona doesn't even exist. They are allowing golf carts. They don't really care if you seem to have two to a cart. Um, it is like the Wild West there. So a, a, a real con- contrast then to uh, when I get back home. You find it a good enough track to play on over there? 
they're, they're pretty good. And bottom line is they're really cheap. I mean, <laughs> the first one was 28 bucks to walk. Today was, I think, 35 to ride. Ooh. So Indiana prices, man, I've never appreciated uh, being so close <laughs> to Indiana before uh, <laughs> before Corona hit. Well, really good. Well, the rest of America is really loving the the Last Dance, the documentary yes. on ESPN, and the paper you write for the Chicago Tribune has been featured prominently, including a book that came out from one of your writers called the the Jordan Rules. How much yeah. are you enjoying seeing some of your the guys that I'm sure and gals that you've worked with and known for years get some publicity out of this deal? Yeah, you know, I was talking to Melissa Isaacson, and and she's getting razzed because I think she either hasn't appeared. Or she's only been once, and I can understand it because she sort of talks in long, long paragraphs. Whereas guys like Jay Adande, you know, TV guys kind of know how to work it. Michael Wilbon has never written for the Tribune, but certainly is a Chicago guy. Sam Smith, I've been making fun of his vest nonstop. <laughs> Very ratty vest. He needed to, you know, get the roller out and clean some of that stuff up. He said he thought it was going to be one of these documentaries where they talk to him for an hour and use 10 seconds. And instead, he is prominently featured. You know, I reread the Jordan rules, um, reread really most of it because I was I've been doing these features as well. Like I did one on Jerry Krause, Doug Collins, Horace Grant. And then I got another one coming up uh, this weekend that I can talk about. But that book, man, it, it really was amazing and so far ahead of its time in terms of, you know, given the inside dirt. Uh, I guess David Halberstam had done a book like that years earlier about the Trailblazers, but Sam's book uh, was different. And I, I thought the last episode of um, Last Dance encapsulated everything well what Jordan was going through. You have, you know, you have the book, you have all the questions about gambling, and all of a sudden Michael is feeling stifled. And we see the commercial, you know, if I could be like Mike. We all want to be like Mike, but nobody actually wanted to be Mike at that point because he was getting harassed pretty good by, uh, you know, my media brethren. All right. You teased it. What are you writing on? What do you got? (laughs) So uh, thanks for asking, Greg. Episode seven, uh, a lot of it is going to be about Michael's retirement press conference. Now, as you know, Michael retired three times. The first one was in 1993, and he has a press conference. And there's so many weird things about it. First of all, the audio goes in and out. Second of all, it's like an all-star media crew, including, you know, Tom Brokaw and Jim Gray. All these people flew in. Uh, Mark Greco, who's still the best sportscaster in Chicago, asked the first three questions, after, after which Jerry Reinsdorf says to Michael, uh, call on somebody else other than Greco," And you can hear him <laughs> say it. There's another weird thing where... David Falk, who I spoke to for the story, is sitting uh, next to Phil Jackson. Jerry Krause comes in and asks David to move down so so Jerry can be closer to Michael and closer to Phil, even though Phil can't stand him. So there's just a lot of little quirks and things that made the press conference strange. Michael at one point says, you know, maybe he'll come back to basketball if, De- if David Stern lets me back in the league. So the people who you know had the theory that Michael's gambling was really severe were using that to say, see, he even alludes to it there. So it's going to be an oral history of one of the you know most interesting and, and in some ways strangest press conferences Chicago seen. Great. We'll look forward to that. You use the word quirks. One guy that's a little quirky in college football is Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Who came out today with a, with a thought that I've heard him talk about this before. In fact, I think he brought this up in media days 
in Chicago last year that he thinks players should be allowed to go to the NFL at any yeah. point in time during their college career. And I, and I remember it was referenced to Jonathan Taylor, the great running back at Wisconsin, that after sure. two years he was probably ready to roll. Your thoughts about Jim Harbaugh and, and his thought process in this? You know, anytime Jim has an idea for the NCAA, I, I just look at it kind of sideways and say there's some other agenda here. There's no way he's doing this for the good of the game. There, there's some way he's going to try to going to try to gain uh, gain the system. I think so. Um, I will give him credit. You know, he came up with a whole idea for those satellite camps, and he had an edge for a couple years. You know, or at least one year where Michigan was getting all the attention and the SEC was on its heels. And I guess they're not doing the satellite camps anymore. Nobody's writing about them. Certainly not this year, of course. But uh, you know, everybody else seemed to have caught up to them. You know. I'm not necessarily opposed to the concept that anybody can can leave whenever they want. It is a free country. You do have exceptional running backs. Jonathan Taylor is probably the perfect example who would be ready for the NFL after their sophomore years. It's one of those things where it's like for the good of the players, it's better if they're there for three years or beyond because it's probably, you know, three or four guys in an entire year who could be successful coming out after their sophomore seasons. Now, should they have the right to make that quote unquote mistake, they probably should because this is America and you know, the NBA is obviously loosening its rules. More guys are turning professional out of high school. You probably should have the right uh, to make that call. Now the other tough one and, and Jim, you know, mentions this and, and this sounds really good is, you know, if you, if you enter the name, if you enter your name in the draft, you're an underclassman and you don't get drafted can you go back and play college football? I mean, this sounds great to me. I'm imagining you feel the same way, Greg. Like we love identifiable players. We want college football to be as great as it can be. So if, uh, if a kid, you know, thinks, okay, I screwed up here. I, I had a fourth round evaluation, but I didn't get drafted. I want to stay in college. I mean, I don't see what would be wrong with that. Um, I think guess it, it might be tough for college football coaches then who are trying to figure out their rosters. If all of a sudden three guys say, Hey coach, I'm coming back to school. Plus, you'd have to make sure they haven't taken any money from agents. Although, I don't know, maybe you can take money from agents now with the with the NLI rules. So, so much is changing in college sports so quickly. Young Ben McLaughlin opined earlier, you're talking about alternate motive. He's like, what if what if uh, Jim just wants those guys in Columbus, Ohio to leave earlier and get those guys out of there because they're standing uh, in the way of him and winning a, a division title over there? That's right. You, you knew it had to be something. It had to be something <laughs> to, to try to – close that gap right now that gap yeah. is like this with Ohio State so maybe he can close it like that and give himself a chance in the fourth quarter to win a game so I'm sure that's it he realized Ohio State has way more talent they're gonna have some great sophomores coming up and he wants them to turn pro of course yeah. Ben figured it out yeah he may be on something I want to ask you about yes. another Big Ten coach James Franklin uh, had yep. a presser yesterday where he talked about we may have a fall we're not all 14 teams in a big league like the Big Ten are going to be ready to play or be allowed to play within their state, but that we should be able to go ahead and have the season with whoever can play. What do you think is of Franklin's comments yesterday? That was a bold statement. Now, uh, several of us talked to um, the new Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, on Sunday because they were pushing a, a mental health initiative. And I asked Kevin about that because that seems to be the talk now. You know, Greg Sankey of the SEC said, you know, some conferences are in, some are out, let's play. And Jim Franklin, those are some strong statements. You know, if you'd asked me a month ago the concept that, you know, Rutgers is not playing, but the other Big Ten teams are, 
in a league where everything is, you know, equal, I would have said, you know, that's a crazy concept. But at this point, some college football is better than no college football. And I think it's such a, you know, financial monster that people feel like, yeah, if they can only get 10 or 12 of the 14, let's do it with the 10 or 12. Let's just tear up the schedule and, and try something new. And I don't think Kevin Warren is going to be opposed to that. I mean, if his big boys want to play, if Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State want to play, and those are the huge money generators, he would you know, get so much pressure from TV. Uh, I would expect him to, uh, to green light that. All right. Well, very good. It's going to be wild. I think the next couple of months are going to be wild to see how this thing all pieces together. Because you're playing golf today, you probably missed the little uh, Zoom conference call with Tiger, Phil, Brady, and, and Manning. It was fun. Yeah. You'll have to go back and watch some of that tonight. Those guys were ribbing each other pretty good. Well, I hope it'll be uh, a lot better smack talk than we got on the golf course from them last time. Phil and Tiger <laughs> were way too nice to each other. I don't think there were any side bets, so... It needs to be as saucy as it was on the golf course with me. We had a, <laughs> I was getting all sorts of flack. We had a long driving contest on one hole. My buddy hits driver and hits it in the rough, and he had said, you have to be in the fairway. So I'm like, cool, I'll just take out my eight iron, hit it on the fairway, and win. I ended up hitting three wood, and he was razzing me for that. But, uh, hey, I won the cash, so I think that's, uh, that's all that matters. Very good. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk with you next week. Thanks, Greg. Best wishes to you. No sports on this weekend, but we've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, let's get to it. Ben McLaughlin, what do you got? Yeah, um, first, I, uh, I've been putting on a lot of movies before I go to bed, and most of them are movies that I've already seen. You know, this one is one that uh, it doesn't get talked about enough when it comes time to good sporting movies, specifically baseball, but The Natural, currently on Netflix right now. Robert Redford, truly uh, one of the better baseball movies out there. Just uh, just a classic. Roy Hobbs and, um, you know, finished that one off uh, the other night. So uh, if, if you live under a rock and have not seen that and have a Netflix subscription, highly recommend you uh, check that one out. The other one that uh, that I'm getting into, I mentioned I'm watching The Ranch uh, on Netflix, a Netflix original. I'm almost finished with that. Uh, but the the other one that I'm I'm anxious to start and I haven't watched yet, I've heard great things. Greg, you endorsed this one to me, as has the head football coach, Yellowstone. Really wanted to get into Yellowstone. I saw a tease for it on Twitter. They uh, dropped the, the trailer day. for. They dropped the trailer for season three today. Yeah, ready to ready to dive into that and, and catch up on Yellowstone. Bill Moose is a big fan, too. That doesn't shock me. No. <laughs> Austin. All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to be watching is the commencement address uh, Saturday morning <laughs> at 9. So that's on, that's on my list of things to do. Listen to. Congratulations, by the way. I appreciate it. Thank you. So listen to. Well listen done, to, Austin. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm making it through. One more paper to submit, and then I'm, I'm out of there. So is there a more electric way to start your Saturday than a pump-up speech from Coach John Cook? I'm not so no. sure. We may need a complete recap from you next week, okay? I will see so what I can So pay attention. Do. Pay attention <laughs> and give us the highlights of what John Cook says to these graduates. I will. I, I think I can do that. Take notes one last time in college. I, I think I can make that happen. Good. Good. 
that's what I got on my docket this weekend. All right, yeah, the Yellowstone trailer dropped today. <laughs> so is it available somewhere, or can you just go find it on, on demand somewhere? I don't know. I, I, I've done some digging already. It's not on any of the major services. It's not on Hulu. It's obviously not on Netflix, but, you know, there's, a, there's Plex. There's some other... Yeah. TV services that might have it's on Paramount, which isn't a it is right a high high profile network. So used to be yeah. Spike TV. Is what yeah, it used to have be to do, have to do names. my best to try and hunt that down. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm still continuing my Ken Burns series on the Roosevelts. I'm through three episodes. It takes a while. Those things are like two hours long. It takes a while to get through that. That plus I'm mixing in the Last Dance. Um, my I have two teenagers living in the house right now, and they both are telling me, Dad, you got to watch Outer Banks. On Netflix, have you touched that on that one, Ben? I I haven't. I've seen it on there, uh, but I haven't gotten into cool. it yet. They say it's really good, and I was just reading some reviews. Some people think it's the best thing Netflix has done. So what so. is it? I don't really know. It's it's kind of revolves around some teenagers, which is probably why it really resonates with them. So I, I may I may dip my toe into Outer Banks to see if I like that one for next week's uh, sure update. All right. Okay, uh, tomorrow, SNBL lineup. It's going to be you and I, right? We're, we're co-hosting this thing tomorrow? We're, we're on the schedule, as far as I know. What games do we have, Austin? What are we looking at? All right, well, Ben leads us off with the Outlaws and the Nationals, our first look at the Nats. Then we have Josh's Mammoths against the fans at Farmers in Game 2. Ooh, and then one. your Harriers hosting Hong Kong. Oh, baby. Throwing Red down with Tim Hong tomorrow. Kong. Throwing down there. They're playing better. Watch they out, are. Ben. They're coming the Nationals up. Nationals are going to catch me at this point. No, no, no. They faded a little bit. The last two weeks have not been good to the Nationals. They've either Vegas. Back. Vegas is struggling. A lot of strikeouts. Yep. We'll Don't see more many. tomorrow if you tune in with us. What a good hour. Great to hear from Jim Pillen. Going to hear his name tomorrow night on our greatest games. Currently the chairman of the Board of Regents and Teddy Greenstein. Always a treat to have him with us on Thursday nights. Big hour here on Sports Nightly.